Our gospel lesson today can be a little bit on the confusing side. So I'd like to take some time this morning to walk with you through it. I'll start by saying that there are many different interpretations of what Jesus says in our passage today. And what I'm going to present to you is just one of those. This passage, like most, actually makes a whole lot more sense when it's set within its larger context. And that context is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just gone up to the top of a mountain to teach the large crowds that have gathered to hear him. This sermon, as we call it, will last for the space of three chapters in our gospel. And our passage today falls almost at the very beginning of the sermon. The fact that this is the beginning of this extensive teaching of Jesus means that it helps to set the tone for what follows. Jesus is making powerful statements about who his followers are and about what he's preparing to teach them, which is an understanding that builds on what already exists. The Beatitudes are the only thing that precede our passage in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, Jesus issues a number of statements of blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. These are just a few of the Beatitudes. He then moves into our passage today. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. One of the most striking things about this passage is the definitiveness with which Jesus delivers these statements. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not you could be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Not you should be. Not, wouldn't it be nice if you were? But you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He's using metaphors, of course, but metaphors that point towards who the people are now. The quality of both salt and light are what gives them their purposes. Salt that has lost its saltiness is useless. It can no longer flavor or preserve food. Light that is hidden is useless. It can no longer illumine a space or allow us to see. Here, it's important to remember that Jesus' audience would have been Jewish. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi with Jewish followers who attracted a largely Jewish audience. While the metaphor of the salt of the earth is lesser known, there are several other places in the Bible where, G where God tells the Jewish people that they are to be a light to the world. They are to exemplify what it means to live in relationship with God. Jesus' comment that a city on a hill cannot be hidden almost certainly refers to Jerusalem, 
a literal city built on a hill. And because of the temple, this city was the focal point for the Jewish faith. He's calling his audience to remember who they are, to remember that they are children of God, and as such, they carry responsibility. Salt and light function as metaphors for discipleship and remind the people that their effectiveness depends on the quality of their efforts. I interpret Jesus' metaphors to sound something like this. You are the salt of the earth, so function like salt. Add flavor to the world. Preserve tradition and relationship with God. You are the light of the world, so function as light. Help people see truth. Lead people to God. But none of this is to be done for our glory. Jesus concludes these metaphors with the statement, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We are who we are, and we do what we do, as we point people towards God, so that they will give glory to God and not to us. There's a strong sense of humility here. Jesus' original hearers and we today are all part of something so much greater than any of us individually. We are part of the family of God, and we are to act accordingly, not for our glory, but for God's. Next, Jesus moves into a passage that clarifies his relationship with the law. We know from elsewhere in the Gospels that Jesus and his disciples got into a fair amount of trouble with the local religious authorities for not following the letter of the law, or at least not following it in the ways that those religious authorities were interpreting it. In response, Jesus explains that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. This is a key passage, and it's one that I think is often missed by Christians. Jesus doesn't appear out of nowhere and proclaim something brand new. He comes within the context of Judaism, and he doesn't come to renounce it. He comes to fulfill it. Jesus has high respect for the Jewish law, but he interprets it differently than others do. That said, he's very clear that the difference is in interpretation, not in the letter of the law. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' statement about the law shows, how a shared, shows a shared understanding that while people can debate about the meaning or interpretation of the law, they can't deny that the law exists and that they are called to follow it. Later on, after Jesus' death and resurrection, once Jesus' followers begin to incorporate Gentiles into what becomes the Christian church, and they begin to pull away from their mother religion of Judaism, we do find passages in the epistles stating that Gentile Christians do not need to follow the Jewish law. 
But that's not what Jesus is saying to his Jewish audience in this passage, and we need to recognize that. Jesus is calling his followers to continue to obey the law, but to do so with a new interpretation. So here is another place where context is important. The passages that follow ours for today in the gospel give examples of just what Jesus means by this reinterpretation rather than rejection of the law. As we will hear next week, Jesus offers a series of statements that follow the pattern of, you have heard it said, insert law, but I say to you, insert reinterpretation, where he gives the law as it is written and then offers a new perspective on it. I won't steal Jacob's thunder for next week. (laughs) But just know that Jesus doesn't just lob this comment out and then not follow it up with examples. We will hear those examples. Jesus ends our passage today by stating, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Scribes and Pharisees often get a bad rap by Christians, but these were the religious elite of their day. They were the learned ones, the teachers, the ones who upheld the law to the best of their ability. They were admired in their day and held to a very high standard, which is why Jesus gets so upset when they abuse their power or neglect the disenfranchised or when they hold to the letter of the law above the spirit of the law. They were meant to be the examples. Given this, for Jesus to tell his disciples that their righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees was to hold them up to a very high standard. Jesus expects his followers to be exemplary in their faith and discipleship. In our gospel passage today, we're beginning to get a glimpse of what it means to follow Jesus. And it does not mean passivity or apathy. He reminds his followers that they are salt and light, and as such, they have meaning and purpose in the world. He reminds them that following him is not a free pass to do whatever they want and to disregard the Jewish law. It's rather to be open to some new ways to interpret that law that respect the spirit of the law while still acknowledging its letter. He reminds them that to follow him, they must show themselves to be more righteous than the religious leaders of their day. To follow Jesus is active. It requires action, thought, interpretation, and response. It requires a conscious engagement with what has come before and an exploration for what that means today. It is my hope that as we all leave today and go back out into the world and into our daily lives, we will continue to meditate on these lessons from our gospel passage. Let them challenge you as you move through this week. And listen for what Jesus is saying to you through this portion of his Sermon on the Mount. Amen.